Hi, and welcome to Strangers on the Internet, a podcast about making online dating work for you. My name is Irene Manta, and I'm a professor at the Maurice A. Dean School of Law at Hofstra University. I'm also a dating coach and a consultant for the dating app industry. And I'm Michelle Lang, a senior lecturer in psychology at Christopher Newport University in Virginia, and a clinical psychologist in private practice. All views expressed on this podcast are our own and not our employers. The internet is abuzz right now with allegations by Sarah Brady, a law student at the University of Hawaii, that her ex-boyfriend and celebrity Jonah Hill emotionally abused her and dressed up the abuse in therapy language. Let's talk about it. But first, I'm going to announce the winner of our big contest that we held to celebrate our first birthday that just passed. And that winner is Dr. Monica Coleman, who won an hour for herself or a friend of advice from Michelle and myself about dating and or relationships. Congratulations. If one of you wants to work with us, please reach out. You can join our Strangers on the Internet Facebook group and message us there, or you can contact us at Swipe Strangers on Instagram. At the time we are recording this, in mid-July 2023, University of Hawaii law student Sarah Brady released text messages from her ex-boyfriend, famous actor Jonah Hill, to show that he behaved in emotionally abusive ways under the cloak of setting boundaries, as he put it. I'm going to read some of the excerpts that have made the most waves in the press. Quoting Jonah Hill here, Plain and simple, if you need surfing with men, boundaryless, inappropriate friendships with men, to model, to post pictures of yourself in a bathing suit, to post sexual pictures, friendships with women who are in unstable places and from your wild recent past beyond getting a lunch or coffee or something respectful. I am not the right partner for you. If these things bring you to a place of happiness, I support it and there will be no hard feelings. These are my boundaries for romantic partnership. My boundaries with you based on the ways these actions have hurt our trust. And then he also said, quote, Keep taking me for granted. Go model. It's a fulfilling life. You'll love it. Real depth and substance and sustainability for relationships. But actually, I'm done with this convo. End quote. And so eventually they uh, broke up. And so she released these messages sometime after the breakup. She said she waited until his uh, current girlfriend was um, done with her pregnancy and had given birth. And so I'm going to dive right in. Michelle, you're the therapist. Is this what is usually meant by boundaries? Can you explain the concept for our listeners from your point of view as a psychologist, given that there's been so much talk now in the media and and sort of arguments about it? Yes. And I'm glad to see that this is a turning into a conversation, that this is something that people want to discuss. I'm a little disheartened that there is so much controversy around it. I wish that the idea of what's a reasonable and fair boundary and was more clear, but I hope to help elucidate that for our listeners. And hopefully that will make it more clear. So I would say the concept of a boundary, a boundary is something that you're keeping for yourself first and foremost, which is important to say. So a boundary is the behaviors that fall within that boundary or things you are comfortable with ways that are consistent with how you want to live your life 
behavior that you're willing to tolerate. And it's, it's about yourself. You set boundaries for yourself, not for other people. And I think that's a really important thing to take away here because part of the conversation that I've seen and think pieces that have emerged about this and just social media reactions is, well, but he's telling her what his boundaries are. He's giving her the choice to exist within his boundaries or not. But ultimately, I think it's really important to, to understand this point that boundaries are for yourself, not for other people. It is inappropriate to set boundaries for other people. If someone else is living in such a way that is uncomfortable with your boundaries, that's not their problem to deal with. That's your problem to deal with. And so if you don't feel comfortable having a girlfriend who models or posts pictures or surfs with men or whatever it is that they may do, then in order to honor your boundaries, you should not date that person. You should not then try to impose your boundaries on that person and say, these are my boundaries, take it or leave it. Because that's a misapplication of the idea of boundaries. It's like, I always, when I talk to my clients about boundaries, talk about like, imagine your house with like a fence around your yard and that fence is your boundaries. And you have neighbors on either side. And in my mind, it's like just kind of a grid of people in your life who sometimes their boundaries and their yard is close to yours, but they get to decide what goes on in their yard and their house. You get to decide what goes on in your yard in your house. So it's appropriate to say, you know, I want to paint my house bright purple, but it's not appropriate to say to your neighbor, if you don't paint your house bright purple, we can't be neighbors anymore. Meaning you have to paint your house different to meet my needs. If you don't want to live next to somebody with the house, the color they've painted it, you can move. You don't tell them to move. And it's the same kind of idea here. Boundaries are for you. And if you don't like how somebody else is behaving, then you need to follow your boundaries. It's not reasonable to ask somebody else to. And so I feel like that's a good working definition of, of boundaries. How does that sound? Well, you know, I've been following a lot of the discourse in the media and I've been having some conversations myself. Um, and like, I'll put on my law professor hat. Okay. And like, poke some holes trying to not be like the the sort of jerk uh devil's advocate right but but what it seems like to me what is actually happening well i'll I'll sort of switch back and forth between my law professor hat and my like psych undergrad hat okay um so what i think is sort of happening is that the language of boundaries is now allowing people to dress up as morally neutral something that isn't so and, and this is and, and, and I mean, even in like the whatever, the Purple House example, right? Like, well, we do have some limitations on like, like for example, some plant communities actually might have rules that you cannot. That you know in advance. Or, or that you know in advance, right? So that's one important point. Um, although even that, as you and I sort of discussed a bit before the show, that's a tricky one because if somebody is unreasonable from the beginning, that it's problematic too. And we have some laws that say, all right, there are certain things you, you cannot do in your yard, like... I don't know, something that would like pollute, for example, uh, your, your neighbor's yard or something like that. But, but you know, so he clearly, I mean, you know, legally speaking in this case, he clearly has the right to date her or not date her. That, that's, everyone agrees with that. Now, when it comes to things that 
start entering the arena of coercive control, um, that gets tricky. Now, I'm not saying his conduct reaches that yet, right? But there is a spectrum of what is called coercive control. And in the UK and increasingly in some US states, that's considered a criminal act, or at least it's behavior that can be taken into account in family court. That might involve things like controlling how uh, a spouse or other partner can come and go or how much money they can spend. Uh, and again, it's a spectrum. Like you can have a conversation about what's a reasonable budget for something. And that doesn't mean that's coercive control. But if you like hold the only login to the account and you're literally forcing your partner or spouse to only spend a certain way, that would be more problematic. So while what Jonah Hill did presumably wouldn't reach the level of what's being prosecuted, I'm sort of wondering, like, how can a person know that they're starting to be at risk of a partner having an inappropriate level of involvement in one's actions? Or, you know, in this case, I might even ask, like, what about Sarah Brady's boundaries? Like, was he kind of like breaching them? Right. And so uh, so all of this is to say, I know I'm sort of talking for a while, but I'm going to tie it with another point because I want to have this larger discussion. And I think it's important, you know, isn't this actually about what is or isn't reasonable to do as opposed to what is about crossing a boundary? Because otherwise, once it's all just about boundaries, the way Jonah Hill defines them, how do we prevent the risk of someone just announcing an arbitrary limitation, maybe every time associated with a threat of like, or I will leave you? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I had an experience the other day that kind of shook me a little bit because, and that makes it sound very dramatic, but um, but I was at Jimmy John's, a delicious little sandwich shop, and I went to check out and the person behind the counter had like devil red contacts. And I had never seen that before in real life where somebody, I mean, it was, it was distracting, you know, it honestly, I had my child with me and I was worried she was going to be scared by it. But at the same time, you know, I have the realization of I mean, people can wear whatever they want to work, I guess, within their employer's expectations. And um, and also generally, I am pretty much of the mind of how you look rarely impedes your ability to do your work. I'm a big advocate for, I think people should be able to wear what they want to work. Honestly, this is the, what shook me about it though, was this is the first time that I can remember where I had feelings about it. I was like, Oh, like that, that has approached my comfort level and, or approached the edges of my comfort level. Now, at least I'm not the type to think that my comfort level needs to be imposed on everyone else. But I think it's getting at the same idea of, you know, if we are to say, what's the boundary for what's appropriate to wear to work? Like, or is it is it appropriate of her or inappropriate of her because it makes me uncomfortable because it makes a certain person uncomfortable? You know, I think a lot of people might even agree on the red contacts thing. Again, I don't even think she should not wear them. I just think it was a moment where I observed, oh, my idea about what people should be able to wear to work actually is a little more conflicted than I initially thought it was. But, you know, what if somebody else thinks that it's, inappropriate for someone to show their arms or like think back to, you know, like the 1920s. Oh, this woman is showing her ankles. What a devil, you know? And so if we think about it in those terms, this idea of at what point does what's appropriate or not become a, a an agreed upon universal objective thing versus individual issues. And certainly in the context of relationships, I think we need to focus on what works for the two people involved. So, I mean, I think 
I, I mean, to, to part of the point you were making, I think there is a real slippery slope that we have to look out for here when we set what is an acceptable boundary in, a, in an objective universal sense. But I also think in the context of an individual relationship, it gets significantly simpler because then it is what works for the two of you. I think what was so frustrating about this interaction, well, there were a few things, but one is if it's not working for you, then just don't be in the relationship anymore. If, if it's truly a boundary, meaning like a deal breaker, essentially, right? Like if I, if you fall outside of my boundaries, it is a deal breaker. And also like you said, Irina, what about her boundaries? Maybe it's her boundaries not to have her boyfriend dictate who she can hang out with or what she can wear, or what kind of pictures she can post. And so was he violating her boundaries by putting this out there in the first place? So whose boundaries matter more, I think is a really important question when we look at it on a larger scale. And in a relationship, the answer has to be nobody's boundaries matter more. If you can't resolve it between the two of you or within your own sense of integrity, then you shouldn't be together. You can't throw around the word boundaries unless you're willing to follow them. And, and that's also, I think, what was frustrating about this is this is not what we were seeing. If it was truly a boundary of his, he would just say, you do these things and that's your choice. So I won't be with you. Not do the, you can decide not to do these things because you know they bother me and then you'll get the reward of me being with you. If it's really your boundary, you need to stick to it, not to force somebody else to. I think to, to go back to an earlier point, like the, the boundary language becomes a way to cover up at times really problematic values. And now let's look at what were his values. What yeah. was he telling her to do or not to do? And before you say that, Irina, let me just also add in there, because I think this is really important as part of the conversation around this about why this is a topic that is pulling so many of us in is because of the context involved. It's not just the idea of having boundaries. It's as you said, what are the values that are revealed here? It's other elements of context too. Like for example, the huge age difference between them that you know I think people need to be mindful of, of somebody who's in his late thirties making demands of somebody in her maybe early twenties, something like that. You know, there are elements of context that are relevant here to understanding what's going on. So you were saying, looking at the values of what well, he brought up. And to add to what you're saying, right? I think she was like mid twenties. He was late thirties. I was, it was about a dozen years difference. And you know, also the power differential between them, like she is obviously not nearly as famous as he is. And so he, there is even a part of the conversation where she's basically telling him, like, you're acting like, you know, you can just walk out there and you're going to get someone else anytime anyway. Right. And also my understanding of what was being discussed is that he actually potentially in part maybe like paid her off to do some of these things. So like yeah. maybe he accepted that she was lowering her economic value by not engaging in some of this social media behavior and that he may be compensated for some of that. I mean, some of this is honestly, it's really disturbing to me. And I, I think, I don't know, like, here's the thing. It, we're not just looking at this one case. We don't do like celebrity gossip on this yeah. show. This is not why we're talking about this. This, what, what we see here is happening all over America, is happening with people who are not famous, is happening especially to women, but not always to, to women, like in a lot of places. 
And so I, I think here, right, like the, the real problem is that he gets moral absolution to himself by not saying what this is actually about. And so, you know, what is it actually that she was doing? Like, okay, let's talk about it. Posting swimsuit pictures of yourself on social media. If your partner said to you, you cannot post pictures of yourself in swimsuits on social media, or I will break up with you. Let's, let's even forget the boundary language for a second. What would you, what would be your read of his values and what would be your response? My read would be insecurity because why should he care? He knows what I look like in a swimsuit and and he has free access to that view, you know? So why should he care what somebody else is able to view? You know, I think it is about understanding is your relationship more than a visual, you know? If I put an image of myself out there, anyone could see the image, but anyone doesn't have a meaningful relationship with me or the right to talk to me or the ability to, you know? And so it is a choice to put a picture out into the public sphere has something to do with communicating an image to people and that's it. So if somebody is so caught up in the image, my concern would be how caught up in images are you about the context of our whole relationship? What are you so threatened about by an image of me being out there? Especially, I hear what you're saying. Like it, it doesn't even matter to an extent that she that she was actually a surfer. You know, anyone should be able to post whatever picture they feel comfortable posting of themselves. That's their boundary. They can decide what feels comfortable for them to put out there. But especially given that she in fact is a surfer, that's her posting a work picture, essentially, you know? And it's part of the job that she does wearing that outfit. And, and you know, the other parts of what he was saying too, what was it like, no surfing with men when it's a male dominated sport, you know? And so so I think what I my first read would be insecurity, both on the pictures in swimsuit comment, but also the surfing with men, boundaryless, inappropriate friendships with men. What do you care if I have friendships with men? You know, do you not have faith in my faithfulness to you? At least depending on whatever we've agreed on is the the confines of our relationship, what we're allowed to do, assuming it was a monogamous relationship. I still think you are going to have friends from the opposite sex and for somebody to have a concern with that, to me, reads as insecurity. What are your thoughts? You know, this this sort of like reeks of like Mike Pence, don't don't eat yeah. alone with a woman type stuff, right? And like it just again, when we think about this collectively and not just individually, yep. right? Like if all women are not supposed to socialize with men or interact in a, in a semi-professional setting here with yeah. men or post pictures because you know what posting pictures from dinners which was another problem he had like that is also a professional act so i can tell you in my main field of scholarship intellectual property in some of the subsets of that field there are a lot more men than women and posting pictures, like, it's, it's not just a personal act. It's also a professional act. It is also saying, like, hey, I, I was here. Like, I was at this conference. I'm I was part of this. I have a seat at the table. I have a and seat. So exactly. That seat at the table. Exactly. If you can't interact with those people. If you take, like, a small dinner at a patent law conference, for example, it's not, like, the main thing I do, but I have done some work in that area. Like, 
it could easily be the case that there are only going to be one, two, maybe three women and like maybe like 10 men. Easily that could happen. And, and so to me, this is very problematic. Like everything that he's saying is, is sort of honestly like reeks of misogyny. Like reeks of like imposing a glass ceiling. Uh, he at no point says, as far as I can tell, at least not in the exchanges we saw that she did cheat on him. Or he says boundaryless friendships with men. Now, of course, we don't know all the context. We don't know what all that's about. But it, it you know, we I already mean, know he has a, has a suspect definition of boundaries. Yes. Exactly, exactly. And so it's just, okay, fine. If someone's cheating on you, don't be with them. Or if you have reason to believe they're cheating on you or maybe like heavily flirting or, or things like that. But yeah, I mean, there are going to be some borderline cases. For example, a man could be with a woman and for whatever reason, the man is in a professional situation himself where like maybe it would do damage to his personal or like his professional reputation for his girlfriend or spouse to post swimsuit pictures of herself on social media. Like we can conceive of a scenario where it's not, at, let's say it's at least not as blatantly unreasonable as what we're dealing with here. But it's like, here, are you kidding me? Like with what goes on in Hollywood, like this was gonna damage him somehow that like she, you know, and like, I don't know if he was thinking, he already talks in, in one part of the exchange about how the media has almost destroyed his life. I don't know if he was concerned about how the media would talk about it, would talk about, you know, his girlfriend socializing with men or who knows, I'm, I'm trying to construct something here. Uh, but even so, I mean, when you're a celebrity at his level, like you probably have to deal with all sorts of stuff from the press. And I'm not saying it's always right. And if they say something defamatory, he can absolutely avail himself of all the legal mechanisms to, to deal with that. Right. Like I'm, I'm not defending like the press lying and making up stuff or whatever, but at the same time, like if, some journalist decides to raise questions because she posts lots of pictures of men. Uh, my God, I mean, that doesn't give you an excuse as someone in his situation to impose this stuff, you know, but, but let's talk about the sort of the, the, the problem more generally, right? Because the, this article in Bustle did bring up this issue more generally some months back about therapy speak being yeah. weaponized uh, not just the word boundary, although that one comes up a lot, like and where people you the examples they gave in the Bustle article were things like, no, I don't want to go to such and such event. We're doing this instead. That's my boundary. OK, so the board boundary came up, but it was also other things like, you know, like just because someone does something selfish, that doesn't mean they're a narcissist. Uh, and, and the word gaslighting also being misused a lot. Right. Like someone does, says something that where you just don't like what they're saying or you just don't agree with what they're saying and you're accusing them of gaslighting which has a specific definition right of somebody trying to like substitute their reality for your own uh which is different so uh, are we seeing a trend here i mean i've seen in the bustle article TikTok got kind of accused of doing that and like there's some sense that maybe the younger generations are using more of this language and maybe not always using it in the right way. I mean, are, are you worried as a therapist? What are you seeing? A little bit, yeah. I see some of it. You know where I see it too is with people trying to use diagnoses or even the fact that they're in therapy as a as a crutch, essentially, as something that they think others should accommodate. Say, and if I'm 
if I'm the person with the diagnosis or who's attending therapy, that I think others should accommodate it in any way I see fit. And you can't just rely on that thing. So I've definitely seen it in those ways or where people just say, well, I know I've really messed up and dropped the ball on this, but I'm in therapy now. So as if that's supposed to say, so just forgive me all the bad things I did because I'm in therapy, as if that excuses it all, rather than it being, I'm committing to doing the work to figure out how to develop the coping skills or stress management skills or whatever it might need to be, um, accommodations to, to help me in a situation that's hard for me, rather than expecting other people to fully accommodate your needs. I've absolutely seen that come up, both in my context as a therapist and, and I've seen it in couples counseling where one member of a couple should expects the other member of the couple to give them significant slack because of their mental health diagnosis. And, and that's where I have to give some education to say, no, you know, there can be some understanding around your mental health diagnosis, but that doesn't negate your partner's needs, you know? So I wasn't able to help out because my depression meant I had a bad week, you know? Well, but your partner's still allowed to be upset that you dropped the ball on all the shared tasks that the two of you were supposed to be doing together or you didn't do your end of them and expected your partner to cover them. So I do see that sort of thing where therapy speak is being misused to in people's hopes, I think, to respond to their own sense of feeling overwhelmed or uncomfortable. They maybe at some level think if I can use therapy words to describe it, I become more sympathetic and, and maybe people will cut me some slack. I mean, look, I don't think it's always an intentional thing. I think it honestly is a lot of the times more reflective of a larger problem of people are very stressed. We live in a very stressful timeline and you can't, blame people for wanting a break or for wanting things to be easier, but you can blame them when they start imposing that unfairly on other people rather than carrying their own fair share of accountability. I think it gets tricky because we can't, and I'm sure you'll agree with that, like we can't really read people's minds and we can't yeah. always know what is this person truly capable of Right. So the person with ADHD who says, I couldn't meet this deadline. I find it very difficult to know like what is or isn't fault because I don't live in their brain. Like I don't know what's going on. And, you know, I, I think over the years, like as a professor, like where I tend to draw the line is like, look, just tell me in advance, okay. tell yeah. me in advance. But, but you know, if, if I'm sort of like, I mean, if, we, if we're going to be really sort of strict here, even telling someone in advance, right, is something that someone's mental health could cause difficulties with, right? Like it might yeah. be part of their um, RSD, or it might be part of the, you know, like there could be something that's causing even sort of the inability to do that. And yeah, I mean, at some point there are certain things you have to draw lines, but you know, where you say like, but you, but when you start imposing on others, it's an issue. We're all imposing on each other all the time. I mean, even not for mental health reasons, like when we're just not good at something, right. It's funny because you and I will, 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 will have the episode uh, that we've talked about, about sort of like skills and things like that. But figuring out, I guess what I'm trying to say is that figuring out what is fair is extremely difficult. It's in many situations, like figuring out what's fair in a classroom, figuring out what's fair in a relationship. And 
And this is, okay, I'm going to now pull in something that Brene Brown talks about because I really would love to hear your opinion about it. And it's related to this. You know how one of Brene Brown's big things is like, you know what? It's not going to be 50-50 every day. And so what she does, and she does that with her own husband, and I think it's a good idea in general, but then I'll also tell you what I want to explore further, is she'll say, well, I'm, you know, uh, she talks to her husband and she'll say, like, uh, my battery is at like 40% today. And he'll say, well, my battery is at 20%. And they'll decide what kinds of things can get cut. And, and the person that is at 40 will still do more than the person that's at 20. And it's okay because, you know, it's, it's expected that at some point it will probably be the other way around, etc. Yep. Okay, so first of all, this kind of assumes that things even out at some point, which may or may not be the case, but that's not even the real problem. Here's where I see the real problem. I think we live in a society, and you are starting to, to touch on this. We live in a society where many, many, maybe most couples today if you add up like all of their battery percentages, right? And even if they cut out everything that can reasonably be cut out, there is not enough energy there. There are not enough hours in the day to do the basic. And I'm saying the basic, like go to work, pay the bills, you know, really, really the basic things that need doing. Do you agree with that? And if so, what do we do with that? Because Brene Brown does not get you out of that. That's a structural problem. Yeah, well, I do agree with that. And I think as it relates to that larger issue, it's why people have to become better because it's really your only choice other than drive yourself to exhaustion. You have to become comfortable with doing the best you can. And as that relates to the specific conversation about what's reasonable to ask of partners, I think, again, it comes back to accountability and becoming comfortable with the idea of saying, I can't do it all and maybe neither can you. So just because I can't do it all doesn't then mean you have to do it all. It's saying we both have to be comfortable with doing the best that we can, learning to trust that the other one is doing the best that they can and trust in the case of relationships that they are trying to be a good partner. So as we relate it back to the Jonah Hill and Sarah Brady thing and how we see, as you said, this happening in other relationships, less famous people, this is relatable content to people, you know, I think an element that's really missing in that equation is trust in the other person doing the best that they can. So, you know, with Jonah Hill saying, I need you to do this, this, and this. And then the fact at the end, he said something like, this is breaching my trust. He said, my boundaries with you based on the way these actions, based on the way these actions have hurt our trust. He's saying the actions have hurt his trust. And I think he's hurt the trust by questioning her taking pictures in her swimsuit or hanging out with her male coworkers. You questioning that is questioning trust to me. So I know that only partially answers your question. I know part of your question was even larger still about what do we do as a society when there literally aren't enough hours in the day to do all the things that need doing. So to that point, I think it's get real comfortable with doing the best you can and supporting other people and doing the best they can and believing them when they say they're doing the best they can, especially if that person is your partner or a loved one, rather than trying to pile on them to do more, you know, owning, I'm feeling a certain kind of way. I'm uncomfortable or I'm stressed or I'm stretched thin, or in this case, I'm insecure, but you own that. That's the accountability piece. You own how you are feeling and don't put that on them. They're already dealing with enough and you have to know that. 
Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I think we're on to something here where it's basically saying, okay, if I have a mental health diagnosis, right? Like I acknowledge that I am asking things of you that are maybe more than what I would be asking otherwise, or that maybe are just not going to be 50-50, or at least in a certain department are not going to be 50-50. Here's maybe something I can offer in exchange in a different department. Here are maybe other ways I can give you a break. Here are maybe ways I can lower my expectations in other areas or like, you know, like just how well the vacuuming has to happen. Or I don't know, some people are very particular, right, about these things. (laughs) And, you know, and then also acknowledging, I think, the structural stuff and saying, yeah, you know what, we are in this situation where, I mean, I feel like, you know, when people ask for advice, like in Facebook groups or whatever, people will say stuff like, oh, you need to outsource more. You need to, and and it's like, well, yeah, that may or may not be possible in a given case, right? Or or just, just things like that, where it's like, maybe this is just, the best it's going to be, but at least like you're saying, don't take it out on each other. Like maybe this is how it's going to be, but you know, you don't have to be mad about some of these things. We're not as mad, right? Maybe you can laugh about some of them, right? It's like, yeah. oh, well, I guess we're going to bed again with the dishes in the sink, you know, yeah. you know, like no one's going to die from that. Right. So yeah, yeah I, I just, you know, I am worried that, Okay, here's something that I'm worried about, and it, it, it really, I think, ties it together. You and I are big believers in building or rebuilding some of the community, sense of community that has gotten lost or maybe has never existed in some contexts, and, and, and making it such that, like, you know, everybody can, can be helped, whether they're single or they're partnered or whatever. When the boundary language turns into stuff that essentially, like, excuses selfishness then it becomes like a community breaker and i am really i have to tell you i am really really worried seeing i'll say this time especially in like women's groups of course i don't see what goes on as much in some men's groups but in some women's groups that they it's a different context okay than what we see with this jonah hill thing but that they will be like, have this you go girl attitude about, yeah, that's just your boundary. So like, of course it's fine if you don't want to do such and such, or you want to do such and such. And look, with some things like clearly, like for example, engaging in certain sexual practices or things like that. Yeah, you get to set all sorts of boundaries and, and that's totally legit, right? And like, no one should push you around on that. But there are other areas where, no, like it's not a reasonable boundary to expect the other partner to pay for everything just because he's male. <laughs> like if that's your boundary, that I'm sorry, but like I'm going to look down on that. I am going to judge that. That has moral content. And by the way, it actually just feeds right back into patriarchy too. So like, you know, I think we're seeing maybe also people who feel like they've been treated like a doormat for too many years, then sort of flip over into the other extreme of like, well, fine society, I shall do no more for you. And now I'm in therapy and I'm empowered and like, I'm just gonna like do whatever I want. Like, have you sort of seen that kind of phenomenon? Yeah, maybe a little bit. I mean, I I definitely think, now I would, I would slightly disagree with you on the whole, like, I think it's fine for somebody to have a boundary of, men pay for dates, but I think if that's your boundary, it's up to you 
to walk away from a situation where that's not the case rather than tell somebody how they're going to behave. I mean, I'll, I'll give that much. Now, as far as the other part about I'm in therapy, ergo, I'm now an expert on all therapist things. Oh my gosh, that drives me insane. And, and I think people, I think part of the trouble is so much of what is learned through good therapeutic work is actually pretty intuitive stuff, but the reason it has to be learned, um, even though it sounds so simple, is because there's a lot of complexities to human existence that rail against this very simple thing, that this very simple principle. There's a lot of noise that pulls you in other directions that makes it unclear as to, is this a time to exert this principle or not? You know. I can tell you, I can give you an example from a couple's counseling exercise that I give to couples about active listening, where I, I write it out for them. It's step-by-step -step instructions about how to have what I call a partner meeting, where it is, you think of it like a meeting time where you sit down with your partner and it's structured. You each in turn are able to bring up your top priority concerns since the last time you've had this meeting and you're saying, I know we have limited time to talk and you know really focus on working on our relationship before this meeting. Here's my agenda item. Here's the thing I want us to work on. Now, the context of this is I tell couples it's an hour long or less. You don't want to go longer than that. Just like with any meeting, you know, it doesn't become productive anymore after people are exhausted by the amount of of time and effort in a meeting. So we don't want it to be any longer than an hour, which means if each member of the couple is going to have time to share their concern and talk through their concern, it should be no more than 30 minutes per each member of the couple. And so you say, okay, first partner, share their concern. Second partner, reflect back what you heard. First partner, indicate, did they get it right? First partner, indicate what your proposed solution is. Second partner, is that a workable solution? If not, like, can we work towards an agreed upon thing we will try as a solution? Okay, cool. Now move on, flip roles for the partners. But even in that, and it's just written down so specifically like that, what will happen is couples don't stick to time limits. You know, they, if they're the partner who goes first, they just take more than their fair share of time and they try to give examples. People are very tempted to be defensive. It's why it's the job of the partner who's not talking, who's not designated talker is designated listener, but they often want to cut in and give defensiveness for why they acted the way they acted. And, um, and they think they'll say like, that's communicating. I'm just trying to communicate, but really it is it's talking, it's, you know, and it is talking in an unhelpful way. If you're, and so, so when therapy speak gets misused like that, or this idea of we tried to talk through our problems and it didn't work. Well, did you try to actively listen to the problem the other person was saying? And so I think, I mean, I definitely can't tell you how many times in life I've encountered people, just casual lay people, including family members who are like, well, as a therapist, I would think that you would recognize blah, 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 as if they have any idea, you know, from a professional perspective, what they're talking about. Like your Google reading on the topic has not made you more of an expert than me. And that's why I think people latch on to some of the simplistic ideas they learn about in therapy, but don't appreciate how complex it is to actually correctly apply those. So I do see that that happens. So, okay. Well, there's so much there, but I'm going <laughs> to pick up just one thing from the beginning. Okay. So pop quiz. Okay. 
So you're saying, and you've said it a couple of times today, that it's one thing to have the boundary where you walk away, but it's another to announce to the person you must do this and, and how yeah. that's, I understand that that's more controlling and less just of a boundary. Okay. So here's an example, which actually did come up in one of the groups that you and I are in. It's been a while. So I don't know if you remember it or saw that one. This is the following. Somebody was dating, a woman was dating a guy that was either not using deodorant or like not using the right kind of deodorant and he smelled. And there was a discussion that ensued about whether it's okay to say to that guy, hey, like, could you, you know, like, could you please use deodorant yeah. or, you know, something like that. Or, and some people felt very strong. And I, okay, I'll tell you, I'll, spoiler alert, I'll tell you, I was on team, like, I think it's okay to have a conversation about this. But there were several people that were like, no, if you don't like this or you don't like, a, you cannot talk about this. You need to just walk away. Yeah, what that's a great that example. One? So I think it's a great example because it's, once again, the, the question I think that is being asked is, can we talk about it? And I would say the answer is you can talk about it, but in what context are you talking about it? If it is pointing out to somebody, you know, the the deodorant you're using or the lack of deodorant that you're not using is having this effect on me. And for that reason, I cannot continue on with this. That's one thing. And you're not asking them to change. You're just telling them. And I think there is a value to telling somebody information in an objective way, like stating you smell or stating some men are uncomfortable with bathing suit pics. You know, those are statements of fact. But I think it is then up to the to the other person to decide what they want to do with that information. So I don't think it's the same thing. Having a conversation about it is not the same thing as demanding someone change or even asking them to change, just pointing it out and pointing out the impact it's having on you, I think is different. And so in that case, I would be in support of sharing it with somebody, especially something that you don't know if they're aware of or not. And you don't know if they're aware of how then that could impact things for them because you might actually be doing them a favor. And if you're not, then you're still not asking them to change it. You're telling them, yeah, this is my boundary. I can't do this. And, and so anyway, but, that's where I'd land with it. But Michelle, and this is where one of the big internet fights is about, okay? There are people who say, but isn't that what Jonah Hill did? He said, I cannot deal with this. And, and he even no. says, and he even says, if these things bring you to a place of happiness, I support it and there will be no hard feelings, right? Yes. He is saying, I cannot, these are my boundaries. I cannot be in a situation where that's true. So so I wonder, like, aren't we just sort of like back to the beginning or we're really just delivering the same message only slightly differently? Like, is it a matter of emphasis, perhaps? I don't think so. I think it is. If you're talking about how somebody smells, you're talking about the impact of the odor on you. And you're saying, I can't be around that odor. Now with him, too. I mean, I do think the most straightforward thing it's the most straightforward way to achieve what you want in Jonah Hill's case is if that's a boundary for you, okay, if you feel the need to state it, if you think that that's helpful information for somebody to have, if you think that it would be true beyond you, that 
that they will be mystified because man, every partner breaks up with me. And you're thinking, well, let me impart to you. It could be because you're surfing with men or modeling or posting sexual pictures. Sure. If you think that it might be helpful information for them, I think as long as you keep it objective. So surfing with men is an objective comment. Boundaryless inappropriate friendships with men is not an objective comment. And, and then the main thing, though, is what I was saying about context. I think there's lots of pieces of context to consider here. One is, if you're going to say that, then let that be the end of it. You know, say that and say, I still think boundaries are about you, not about other people. So you can say, I can't deal with this smell. <laughs> but, you know, to say what you do with your body is part of my boundaries, that's that's too far. But I would say, if you're if you're going to say it, then that really needs to be it. You can say, I've stated my boundary, but instead what we're seeing here is what appears to be an attempt at coercion. Now, like you said earlier, not to the level of like some legal definition of coercive control or doing anything illegally, but it is, it is him saying it with, I think, a pretty clear intent that he wants those behaviors to change rather than that he's really okay with walking away from it. And part of the context of that is further conversations they have, like the comment you said about, if you want to go do that, go do that. But here's all the reasons that actually sucks, you know? And and the person who's talking about breaking up with somebody because they smell isn't saying, well, good luck, no one's ever going to want to date you. They're just saying, I don't want to. So I think that's, that's a difference as well. Yeah, I think we're really digging into some good stuff here. I, I think that the context is very much relevant. I, I still believe, I'm going to stick to my values point here, where when you tell somebody, you know, got this issue with the smell or whatever, that is not a moral statement. That is not telling the person yeah. you are immoral for yeah. not using deodorant yeah. or the right kind of And like you said, maybe they didn't realize or whatever. But here it is very clearly stating that she was doing something wrong uh, and that in fact, right, she will, you know, end up with these shallow relationships as a result. And not only is he making a moral statement, he is making a moral statement that is wrong. He is making a moral statement that is misogynistic, uh, yeah. that is problematic, that is insecure, coming likely from a place of insecurity and all of these other things. So I, I do think, and I think a lot of what we've just talked about, and of course you and I have the luxury to talk about this for you know 45 minutes an hour, but a lot of this like really comes down to a level of nuance that gets lost in a lot of the shorter articles that talk about this. Right. And I think that's ultimately why you also see, I mean, part of why you see the internet fights is because people have different substantive values. Uh, but part of why you see the fights is because a short article is not going to be able to encompass like all of that nuance and, and sort of go through all of these different distinctions. And, you know, there have been other discussions as well, like, is what he did bad enough that it should have been posted at all? Like, you know, mm. that she and, and, and all of that. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's a separate discussion. Like the fact of the matter is it has been posted. And so we are discussing the content of it. Yep. Right. And, and we were discussing that content again, not because we're so interested in like Jonah Hill's private life, but because we are interested in this phenomenon and this just happened to be put on display because it is a celebrity. And let me, let me say a couple things to that point. One is, you know, just a reminder that I think is so important for our listeners and especially female listeners, but I mean, everyone uh, to know is 
this idea you perhaps have heard before about there are no perfect victims. And so people are so quick to jump on Sarah Brady about this and and criticize her, questioning her motives for why she's putting it out there. Well, you're just bitter that he moved on. He's happy with someone else or you're just bitter that, you know, he's rich and famous and you're not or you got dumped. And who knows? Maybe that's true. I don't know. I don't know her, but that doesn't negate her points either. And so that idea of false equivalencies as well. So people are saying, well, she did stuff wrong too by putting this out here. Like you said, maybe beyond the scope of our intended conversation for today, but that doesn't negate her points. Maybe she's wrong in her own ways, but it doesn't negate the points she's making. And it's so important for people who are dating and in other romantic relationships to be able to recognize, as she said, that this is red flag behavior in the context of a relationship, regardless of whether you've demonstrated your own red flag behavior, that doesn't make this okay. And so I think those are really important things for people to be mindful of here is two wrongs don't make a right, there are no perfect victims, let's not stop having the conversation just because you can see some flaws in her as well. I think that's going to be really important to to what people are considering with this. And you know, what you were saying too earlier as another point I wanted to make sure to bring up is we know you and I certainly do. I think a lot of our listeners and hopefully lots of society, but if people don't, more should about the warning signs that we that any of us should see in a message like some of what she posted about how isolating it can be. We know that that is a hallmark of abusive behavior, whether he's being abusive in this instance or whether he's abusive in general, I couldn't say. I I don't have the knowledge to fully comment on that, the insider perspective there. I don't, I'm, I'm seeing this information piecemeal, but I do think it's important for people if they're considering their own relationships and looking for red flags there to recognize when somebody is trying to isolate you. So saying you can't hang out with this type of man, you also can't hang out with this type of woman. Uh, you know, you're picking away at their support network and whether that's intentional or not, it is important to recognize that that looks like abuser behavior and a good partner should be concerned about not isolating their partner and not coming across in a way that so clearly aligns with what abusive people do. And I think that's another really important piece here. Yeah, I, I really like that you highlighted that because it's like, wait a second, what's up with, with his criticism of the friendships with women who are in unstable places and from your wild recent past? Now, I don't know what the wild recent past was. If it was of a sexual nature, that sure sounds slut-shaming. Uh, and, and even if it was something else, that, that sounds pretty shady to me. And I sent you that meme today that was basically about like, you know, be, be the kind of woman that Jonah Hill doesn't want uh, his yeah. girlfriend to be friends with or something like that. Uh, because I, I, that to me, it's like, so not only can she not post pictures, not only is she not supposed to hang out with men. Oh, there's, there are women that are okay. And there are women that are not okay. It's okay if he, she has a lunch or coffee or something respectful as opposed to- we should also all agree on what that means. <laughs> But, but it's just, it, what is this? I mean, is this Victorian England? Like what, yeah. you, know, you know, is she supposed to only invite women over for tea in her drawing room with a chaperone? Like, yeah, you know? <laughs> so 
I, I don't like the totality. And you're right. Yeah. It's the context. It's everything. It's, it was so many different things too. It wasn't just don't post pictures. It was, there's this, there's this, there's this. There's a list. There's a list, right? And it's like, well, wait a second, right? Like, so what is, I mean, yeah, maybe your values really are too far apart when you have to start making lists of, yeah, of behaviors. That's a, that's a huge red flag. And to speak to how universal that is, I have definitely been seeing posts uh, here and there, I mean, not uncommonly, in some of the online groups we belong to where people are posting kind of some of the crappier things they've seen on dating apps, where you are seeing variations of this kind of list. It's like, if you are this, this, that, 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 swipe left. And, and they're... I mean, people are not, and sometimes it's even the about me section where you're supposed to be talking about yourself, but instead you're giving a laundry list of requirements for the kind of partner you would deem to be acceptable. People need to back off and learn how to be a good person yourself. Look for people who you think are compatible with you. If you find that they're not compatible, be man enough, woman enough, whatever enough to move on. Don't try to force somebody else to change, to fit in your mold. Well, and I like what you said earlier about distinguishing between things that, and I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit, but distinguishing between things that are about the relationship versus that yep. aren't. And I think I've told you the story before, and I think I've told it on the show before, about the um, the guy that I dated briefly who made negative comments about the spaghetti carbonara on the menu and and I ordered it and he was shocked and angry that I had ordered it after he had just said how have I told you that story after he yeah, had just said how unhealthy this. <laughs> after he just told me how unhealthy it is, right? And and honestly, That's Michelle great. it should have been I should have walked out in that moment. And look, the whole thing did not last very long. It was maybe another couple weeks after that, right? But I should have walked out in that moment because a man who gets angry at you for what you ordered off of the menu, that is the start yeah. for you, right? I wasn't making him eat it, you know? It's like, that is the start of somebody trying to be inappropriately controlling, like dictating, and, and, and presumably this was, you know, all some sort of like fat shaming attempt, right? I mean, to be like, yeah. well, you're gonna get fat if you eat that. And, and by the way, I, I mean, I have noticed a couple of times in my life, not a lot, but a couple of times I've had men comment on either what I am eating or how much I am eating. Me too. Um, and, and it is, um, it, it's, I don't know if you've seen that. This was some years back. There was a study about men and women sometimes being served different amounts of food at like lunch counters and stuff with the attempt to like keep the women skinny like that that was an element of this right and i have felt very awkward if in a professional setting someone commented on on like what i, I had it happen in a professional a setting yeah. if it's a joke like it's just so inappropriate and especially if it's not someone you're close friends with or something yeah. like otherwise you could laugh about it or something but you know if it's just some random work acquaintance that's just weird and so uh but that's the kind of thing where it's like anything like that i, I think people should like really really question what's going on here and consider walking away uh, because this is not a good sign and it is not going to get better. I think that's right. You know, if it walks like a duck, maybe it's a duck, maybe it's a goose. I don't know. Maybe it's some other two-legged animal. But if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. So, you know, you want to 
take a given piece of evidence and understand there might be some overlap there between what appropriate and what inappropriate people do or what flavor of inappropriate this might be. And so, you know, one given behavior in isolation may not be all the information you need to feel comfortable closing that door, but usually somebody who's going to show this kind of behavior in one situation is going to show it in others. And I think a really important thing for our listeners to be mindful of is noticing the signs. And you don't have to draw a fast conclusion if you are unsure of what it means. So again, I don't know that Jonah Hill, I don't know whether or not he's an abusive person, but I know that this kind of text is the kind of text that abusive people might send. And so I think it is a warning sign to be taken into account along with other pieces of information that someone within the context of a relationship would have about that person. And, and that's, I think, an important takeaway. Please, you know, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater in this story. Sure, you can criticize Sarah Brady for her choice to put it out there for some other choices she has made, but what we saw in what she did put out there is concerning behavior and if you see that going on in your own relationships, that is something to to look at very carefully and with caution and concern. You know, I hope that there is still redemption that is possible for Jonah Hill. Like, I don't, yeah. if I read this series of texts, I don't necessarily think, oh, this is someone who's beyond hope and like, yeah. he's just going to be a bad guy forever. I almost wish we could send him our episode with, you know, Dr. <laughs> John Schinnerer about the man box, yeah. because a lot of this stuff like that he is, that Jonah Hill maybe is feeling insecure about is probably because society told him, oh, you should be worried when your girlfriend is posting these pictures or things that, you know, that maybe if he were to deconstruct them, maybe he would feel differently about it. So I, I just hope he really will just reflect on this and, and think about, you know, whether this is what what he wants the world to to be like for women. And you never know. I mean, maybe he will, you know, come to a realization that, that there is a problem with what he said. And maybe he said some of this stuff in the heat of the moment, which doesn't excuse it, but again, makes it perhaps more possible for him to change his mind once he has a, a moment to think about it with, with some greater, you know, calm and uh, time for self-insight. Absolutely. And with those who have followed this controversy, this story unfolding, who have found themselves being resistant to Sarah Brady posting these texts or who have found themselves identifying with some of the things Jonah Hill said. I mean, I would say the same to them, right? Like, it's worth really looking at where that's coming from. Nobody's trying to say you're a bad person. There's no hope for you. It's take this opportunity to understand why those things bother you and what might be a way to address your own discomfort in a way that's fair and respectful to your partner, as well as really helps you to develop the insight as to what your real core concerns are that can help you ultimately become closer to that partner in the long run, or if that's not the right partner for you, to help you free yourself up to find the right partner or to enjoy, you know, life by yourself, which is also not a bad thing. But yeah, I mean, we definitely don't want to paint anyone as a bad guy or girl <laughs> definitively and forevermore for having 
understood where Jonah Hill was coming from or thinking I've sent a text like that or something. It's, it's about learning accountability and developing your own coping skills and strategies for what makes you uncomfortable. And so, you know, we don't want to alienate anyone here. We want to welcome everyone to, to learn more about the things that will ultimately make you happier and more harmonious in your relationships. And so I hope in this deep dive, we were able to do that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, this is a conversation that's going to continue and it's going to continue to evolve. And, you know, we I'm glad we live in an era in which we can talk about this spectrum of like what might start being abusive, lead to abuse, and that, you know, it, it helps kind of stop the slippery slope before something like yeah. truly awful has the chance to happen. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it five stars so that others have a chance to listen to it as well. And make sure to subscribe so that you can get our future episodes. All our platforms are accessible at strangersoninternet.com. Again, that's strangersoninternet.com. No the. You can become a part of our community by joining the Strangers on the Internet Facebook group or following us at Swipe Strangers on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, or Mastodon, where we are on the Falsedon server with two S's. We also appreciate support to defray our costs to run the podcast. You can help us out at Swipe Strangers on coffee.com, which is ko-fi.com. I would like to thank my husband, Carl Scorini, for sound editing, as well as Vlad Kujuku for permission to use his music for this podcast. Bye, everyone. Bye.